for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to the 110th episode of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week I've got another special episode with two interviews. First up is Fred Van Lente, one of the creators of Valiant's terrific comic Archer and Armstrong. We talk a lot about the title and how things are going to proceed and how it interacts with the other titles in the Valiant universe. Then I talk with Cullen Bunn, one of the creators of The Sixth Gun from Oni Press. We talk about possibilities of that moving into other media as well as developments in the comic. There's a lot to get to and a lot of great talk ahead. So let's get on with the show. I'm talking today with Fred Van Lenti, one of the creators of Archer and Armstrong at Valiant Comics and some other good books that I really enjoy. How are you doing today, Fred? Doing great. Good. I love Archer and Armstrong. I have to say, I was a fan of it when it first came out back in the original Valiant, but I think you're taking it to new levels. I think you're having more fun than I even previously thought of. So I think that's just a great book. When you approached the book, how did you approach it? I mean, did you were you familiar with the original books at all? I wasn't. Uh, in fact, Hunter Gorenson, who is currently Valiant's head of marketing, came up to me at New York Comic Con and asked me if I'd be interested in writing Archer and Armstrong. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard of it before. I had to Google it. Uh, and the Wikipedia page of Archer and Armstrong reads like it was written by a paranoid schizophrenic. It's just <laughs> incomprehensible rambling. Uh, and uh, But, you know, it seemed crazy enough that it was definitely up my alley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Valiant, Warren Simons, the editor-in-chief of Valiant, gave me the hardback the current regime did of the original, I think it's eight issues that Barry Winter Smith did. Mm-hmm. I, and I really loved it. I mean, I always loved Barry's art. Um, but then I went and I got um, the complete run of the series. I think mm-hmm. Barry only made it to issue 12 or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, the, the funniest part of the story is the primary reason they had me for Archer Armstrong was another buddy book I did called Incredible Hercules. Mm-hmm. Greg Pack and many talented artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, ironically, I learned later from Tom Brevoort, who's executive editor of Marvel, that when they were talking about doing Incredible Hercules, Tom described it as, oh yeah, we'll just do Archer and Armstrong. He was a huge fan of Archer and Armstrong from the 90s. So mm-hmm. it was definitely sort of a circle of life thing hmm. uh, that Tom later told me about. That's probably why Incredible Hercules got off the ground in the first place. Uh, did you try to make it your own, or did you try to... Put you know, did you try to follow the original story, or did you do a mix of them? You know, because the original series sort of hinged itself so much on Barry's art and sort of Barry's very unique sensibility. My original outline for the first issue, at least, was more or less a remake of the first issue, mm-hmm. and it was definitely Warren and um, the new Valiant that sort of encouraged me to. Uh, downplay some of the stuff like Archer training in a monastery and and, uh, and and sort of the randomness in which he meets Armstrong. Uh, and it was Warren, in fact, who came up with the uh, the creationist amusement park that Archer's very Bachman-esque parents run. Mm-hmm. I, I based those, the, the fairly obviously to most people, I based the Archers very loosely on the family of Michelle Bachman. 
former oh, okay. Tea Party favorite and former uh, presidential candidate. Okay. Congresswoman from, uh, I want to say, Minnesota. No, Missouri. Okay. Missouri, okay. Okay, and who did you base uh, Gerald Armstrong on? Well, Armstrong is more or less as he was from the original series. Um, David Ogden redesigned him, sort of cleaned him up a bit. He's not quite the sort of loathsome-looking wino <laughs> that Barry drew. Um, and in my version, uh, the, the sort of the key that I sort of had with him was that he was a poet. So he's always quoting poets famous and ancient and modern and obscure. And uh, that's something I've sort of explored about the series is that he is that Armstrong... You know, the obvious contrast with, with, with Armstrong would be Marvel's Hercules. The, the, the distinction, and this may be something that's only important in my mind, but it is a very important distinction, is that, is that Marvel Hercules stayed in Olympus until, uh, you know, the, the Richards family shot up into space and got zapped by cosmic rays. He's, you know, he's been, he came down, they made it very clear in, in the original Jack Kirby Stanley Thor series that Olympus sent Hercules to Earth after Thor started showing up and, you know, beating up the great gargoyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Hercules was removed from from history and never really quite got into the modern world. While Armstrong's been on Earth, roaming the Earth for thousands of years, and he's very much of the Earth. The Earth. The Earth. Uh, <laughs> And uh, and so he's uh, so he sort of has a he's he's modern and sort of grounded in a way that Hercules is very you know for lack of a better word godlike and mm-hmm. and somewhat removed from from reality. Mm-hmm. Well, you've really moved the characters farther along than I expected them to go. Thank you. And as always, Archer is is suffering. He's he's meant to suffer while uh, Armstrong is having is enjoying life. Yes. And you, you, <laughs> in recent issues, you've done some interesting things with him. You know, you had uh, uh, one of, I think it's one of his sisters, Archer's sisters. The actually, sisters, yeah. Yeah, get into, uh, uh, shall we say, uh, uh, relations with dear old Armstrong. Yes. And, of course, who walks in on them but Archer. And the poor guy, he's always being disappointed by people. The only one, he, I, I guess he doesn't, the only one that doesn't disappoint him is himself. But uh, everybody else is just disappointing him all around. Right. I feel so sorry for him so much of the time. Good. <laughs> well, he's a Christian, right? And Christians were born to suffer, right? We're all, oh, okay. We're all, we're all born sinners, and so uh, we're always sort of perpetually looking for that uh, that moment of redemption. And, you know, and he's, you know, one thing I've sort of tried to keep consistent with with Archer, you know, the original Archer, very much Miss Archer, was a Harry Krishna. Yeah. Which, you know, it's a religion I really know nothing about. <laughs> and, and, and so definitely was going to avoid mm-hmm. uh, from day one. But I was, you know, as a teenager, when I was an artist, I was very religious and I was very active in my church. So he's, he's somebody I can very much relate to. Mm-hmm. So you sort of have the, for lack of a better word, persecution complex that goes along with Christianity that's sort of embedded in the DNA of Christianity. And you merge that with the angst and the hormones of a teenager and you definitely get somebody like Archer who who always feels like he's on the receiving end of the world. Mm-hmm. Now Armstrong, of course, the opposite. He is uh, in the last book in issue fifteen. Uh, you have you go through and every once in a while you document how many beers he's had. Right. 
throughout the book, and I thought, man, what a contrast. This is the ultimate odd couple, these two. Yes. They simply don't they, – they couldn't be more different than each other. Right. And, well, and of course, during the course of that issue, issue after Archer has dumped Armstrong, Armstrong is getting drunker and drunker, and the drunker he gets, the more depressed he gets. So that's definitely a situation where he – he also is suffering in his own way, but he has uh, – he's blessed with the ability to forget, you know, which is a very, very useful skill when I, I try to cultivate it myself. I would recommend everyone else do the same. Uh, but, you know, he's he clearly feels bad about uh, putting hoes before bros, uh, the coin of phrase. Uh, and, you know, obviously that, I guess that, oh, okay, I was about to, I almost gave a spoiler away. <laughs> but I okay, forgot what issue came out recently. Uh, and that, that situation is going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. Now, my understanding is, is and this will come out uh, as issue 16 is going to be coming out, you're going to explain where he, the adopted sister has gone to over the last couple of issues? Yes. So, okay. <laughs> More than that, I guess we don't need to know at this point, but it'll right. be good. Let's say Mary Marie is, has a very significant role in Sex of the War, and it involves uh, a change in her own situation that's very significant for that character. Okay, that's a perfect lead-in to talking about this amazing group of groups that you've got going on in Archer and Armstrong. Right. You, you've got just about every group in there that I can conceive of. And, I'm, and the next one we're supposed to see is the Black Block. Right. The Black Block played play a huge part in, part in Sect Civil War, which is this current storyline. So the main bad guys in Archer and Armstrong are the Sect, which, which I sort of conceived of as the United Nations of secret organizations. So ah. you've got the Illuminati is in there. We have a group called the 1%, which is a, a bunch of uh, Satan-worshipping financiers who run Wall Street. We've got... <laughs> um, during an arc about Eternal Warrior, they battled a, a, a zero worship, numbers worshiping cult called the Null. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the Sisters of Perpetual Darkness, who are ninja nuns, which is sort of that's it, which is really the only one that's sort of other than the name, the second self, the only one that's left over from the original Archer Armstrong. Okay. They were cross-dressing men in the in Mary's version. Um, and yeah, you know, I've just tried to cram everybody in there. There's the Gnomes of Zurich, which people who've read. Uh, the Illuminatus trilogy you may be familiar with, and and so yeah, every every possible uh, this is the Hashish Eaters, which is the League of Assassins. The the word assassin comes from the, you know literally means Hashish Eater. So oh. these are dope smoking terrorists uh, <laughs> in in tie dyed robes. Uh, yeah, so it's it's you know Archer Armstrong is a satire of conspiracy stories while at the same time being a conspiracy story itself. <laughs> I notice that certain groups, when they bump into Archer and Armstrong, they they cease to exist. Yes, yes, they have a the Archer and Armstrong have an excellent success rate in eliminating uh, sects, members of the sects. Uh, <laughs> the first one they took out were the were the Nazi llamas, which are uh, based in actual historical fact. The the Nazis, particularly the SS under Himmler. Uh, we're obsessed with with a truly bizarre racial theory called Ariosophy, mm. which held that white people, I'm not making this up, come from Atlantis, mm. with somewhere in the Indian Ocean. Mm. And so they have this fantasy of the original Aryans making their way across India and Nepal on their way to 
Norway and Germany and so forth. And so they sent the SS sent an archaeological expedition to Tibet to find the, some evidence of this migration of Atlanteans, which shockingly they did not find. <laughs> but in Arthur Armstrong, they you know mm-hmm. they stuck around, they stuck around and formed their own weird, weird ass mm-hmm. pseudo Buddhist order. The swastika being a, a fairly important symbol in Buddhism. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's, there's a couple I want to know a little bit more about. I, the, the, the Project Rising Spirit, what, I need to know more about that. What's that all about? Project Rising Spirit uh, was a government program started um, about the time, about the end of World War II to deal with the rise of, of psyops or harbingers. Mm-hmm. And uh, they created a, char- a character called Bloodshot. Mm-hmm. Right to hunt down harbingers, and right. uh, what has been slowly revealed, sort of what's been a major through line of the series, is that uh, Archer himself is a psyops. Oh. And in the recently announced Archer number zero, which sets up the arc following Sex of a War, we learn more about his origin. And I guess oh. what's also been announced is that the the conflict between Archer Armstrong and the mysterious government organization Project Rising Spirit will come into a head in a crossover between Archer Armstrong and Bloodshot and the Hardcore this uh, spring. Oh, cool! Very cool. Now, now, what about the Vine? Are those like alien creatures or something? They're all sort of the pictures I see of them have them sort of you know in the shadows. The Vine are the villains of Exo Man of War. They oh, are oh. the. Uh, the aliens who kidnapped the Visigoth. Oh, I didn't put that together. Arik, and uh, from him, from then he got the um, mm-hmm. he got the the exo the, the exo battle suit. Um, and the vine left behind. Uh, I don't know quite how to describe them. The, the vine human hybrids look like humans, but actually are descended from oh. the vine. Um, so you guys, so you all are really working to integrate all these books together. Yeah, and, yeah, and I'm sort of, yeah, so I'm sort of tying everything together, particularly through Sex of War. Uh, I was, they were going to play a bigger part in Sex of War, but uh, in deference to Robert Venditti and the Exo Man of War team, who had kind of plans in mind for them, I, I mentioned them, because I mentioned them earlier before as being members of the sect, so I just really let them be. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the one I want to know the most about is the Master Builders, which are clearly Freemasons. Right. Which I really – because I've, I've been a Freemason, yeah. and I have – I've been uh, – I, I haven't been involved in years. But the thing I always find is because there are certain secrets that you promise not to tell anybody, that somehow means there's some real devious, nasty – you know, world dominating group. They have secret weapons and all this stuff. If you've been watching uh, uh, Sleepy Hollow, the Freemasons have been involved. And they've got all this secret stuff going on. And I'm going, man, if you guys really knew what the secret was, you'd be very underwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. it's, right. it's not that big of a deal. But yeah. I always get a kick when I see the, this kind of stuff going on. I say, now what are they going to do? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I like, I like. The Master Builders are not so much making fun of the Freemasons as making fun of people who are obsessed with the conspiracy theories behind Freemasons. Mm. The idea is, okay. that, is that, I mean, part of the, the Masonry mythology is that it dates back to the Pyramid Builders, and a right. big part of Sects of War is this is this MacGuffin, the Wheel of Aten, which dates back to, which is a super weapon that dates back to ancient Egypt times that, Ar- mm-hmm. that Armstrong, in his drunken way, accidentally created. 
uh, <laughs> with knowledge he shouldn't have bet by chariot race, but did and lost, and so uh, the super weapon was built. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they they actually uh, believe it or not going to be a big deal in the Bloodshot crossover. Oh, okay. So you'll I'll be, be that. you'll be you'll be seeing hints of them in. Um, uh, sex of war, but they, they really become fairly important once, once the war. Okay. Well, I'll be interested to see what you do with them because I'm always I'm just always fascinated how people look at them just because they're just like a password or two or some other thing that you really can't tell anybody else. That all of a sudden there's this huge thing about them. I'm always looking at what? Where did you get that? Well, it's secret. See, I can't keep secrets. And I'm going, oh, okay. Is that the, uh, the cover? The cover up is always worse than the crime. Is that the? Uh, yeah, that's the kind of thing. Yeah, just crime. see, if it's secret, then it's up to other people's imaginations to come up with stuff. And I think that's not only a thing with the Masons. It's a, all these different groups have certain secrets and things going on. And I just find that so much fun to read these things because, you know, I, I conspiracy stuff. We just passed Kennedy's assassination anniversary and all the stuff about conspiracies that over and over again people talked about. And I thought, man, this is kind of like advertising Archer and Armstrong because there's all these different sure. groups going on. Well, I mean, so I thought, yeah, I mean, what I always say about conspiracy theories is that they're the mythology of the infinite. They're they're what people who don't have power are not used to wielding power think power is like. Mm-hmm. But you know, they very uh, <laughs> they very rarely hold up under close scrutiny. I mean, I'll, I'll give you two examples. One okay. is uh, I was at a con in North Carolina, and during a, a, a lull, I was reading uh, a book about the Holy Grail, mm-hmm. researching an upcoming storyline on Archer and Armstrong. This guy came up to me and started talking about the Holy Grail, and before long, I figured out that he was a died in the wool hardcore conspiracy theorist. Um, and quickly bounced from the Holy Grail to the Gulf of Tonkin to how Jim Morrison's dad was involved in the Gulf of Tonkin to the World Trade Center towers. The 9-11 attacks were a ruse to actually destroy Building 7, which a high school, which, you know, as you may know, there was more than two buildings in the World Trade Center complex. Right, right. Um... And so he, he, you know, in the video, the video clearly shows there's no way that building could have collapsed without some kind of internal um, detonation to it. And, and the high school physics teacher proved this, so why can't the governor prove this? That building had all the records to, mm-hmm. to the, uh, I guess the FBI, uh, the FBI, the Manhattan the FBI was in that building. And so... Mm-hmm. All the records for the Enron prosecution were in that building. Oh, so you know, we went from I mean, we literally went from King Arthur to Enron, about <laughs> seven different conspiracy theories. And so I asked the guy. I said, "If the world really is this network of conspiracies and people operating behind the scenes to control things." Well, what are you? Who cares? <laughs> you know, what I mean, what does it matter? What are you going to do about it? Are you, we all yeah. grab rifles, rifles, and head for the pills and mm-hmm. begin our revolutionary movement, or are you just going to accept at a certain point you can only really control what you control your your own life, and are you going to find sort of enlightenment from within? And he actually seemed to appreciate that, and which made me feel better and frankly <laughs> safer because he was very tall and <laughs> and kind of uh, a bit bright eyed. I didn't quite know where that conversation was going to go. Mm. It turned out fairly well. Well, conventions can sometimes be interesting experiences. 
So I've had some myself. I go, I see people, I, I see hairy guys dressing up like Wonder Woman. Sure. And I and I look at it and I go, oh, you know, what makes you think that that's a good idea? I just right. can't understand it. The, the, second, but, the, you second, know, the second story I was going to say, more, more related specifically to what you brought up of the JFK assassination, mm-hmm. is uh, <laughs> they still have the car that Kennedy was shot in. Yeah. And... The thing that would be obvious to anyone who went and examined the car, but so few people do, is that the back seat that Kennedy was sitting in is three inches higher than the front seat. Okay. Why is this significant? Well, because if you take into account that three three extra three inches extra height, the so-called quote-unquote magic bullet theory is not so magical. In fact, <laughs> it's a straight line from where the bullet entered Kennedy's body to where it hit the body of the Texas governor sitting in front of him. Mm-hmm. So if anyone had bothered to, I don't know, look at the actual physical evidence, many of these quote-unquote conspiracies would be completely dispelled. So what I believe in is not conspiracy theory, but stupidity theory. <laughs> and whether intentional or accidental, the ability of humans to completely confuse the issue, making it look like there are all these unknowns, you know, mm-hmm. like what you were saying about the Masons. Mm-hmm. In that because they're, they are mysterious, they must have something to hide, as opposed to them just getting drunk on weekends when their wives are around, or whatever, you know, the primary activity of your particular lodge of Mason. Uh huh. Maybe. Yeah, well, okay, my... For the book drive at school. <laughs> All right, my head's starting to hurt, so maybe we should get back to the, the comic. <laughs> I just, uh, it's interesting to me. Now, the sect war, that's going to, you're kind of doing the pre stuff before the sect war actually starts, you know, in earnest. And uh, I, is, is it, when is the actual sect war going to go? Or is that, has it started just like everything is secret with these guys? Has it already... <laughs> Or is it is it going to come in in upcoming issues? Well, you'll it's it's definitely started. You 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 haven't really observed it, but it will become increasingly next issue. Ah, okay, so sixteen. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's that's that's. I'm looking forward to it because you know these people are used to hiding in the shadows. Are they going to do this war in, in secret, or are they actually going to come out in public and and fight each other? Uh, well, that would be telling. Yeah, that's what I figure. It's, I see these are the things that I, I like a comic that makes me think, right. that makes me wonder what's going to happen next, because then I want to read the next issue, and that's what's going on with Archer and Armstrong. I'm dying to see what's going to happen awesome. with all these secret groups. I, I, I imagine they can't do this completely in, 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 uh, in the shadows. They're going, some of it's going to have to spill out in the public at some point, right. but I could be wrong on that. We'll see. See, that's just, but you're doing a great job on that because I really like not knowing and seeing the possibilities, and then I gotta know. Right. So I'm great. so looking forward to issue 16. So that is such a great book. Thank you so much. Well, while we got a couple minutes left, why don't we talk a little bit about Brain Boy, which comes out, I think, from Image. Uh, Dark Horse. Dark Horse, sorry. And I just I enjoy that comic a lot. I've written reviews of it and given it high marks because I, I enjoy the fact that right about now there's so much mental power things going on. You got the tomorrow people, you've got other things, you know, going on and, and everybody seems to be fascinated by what they call the three T's in the tomorrow people. Now you don't have all three. You have you have telepathy and I think you have 
uh, what's the third one? I can never remember the third one. It's well, you don't have the transportation stuff, which I think is good, or teleportation stuff. That's good. But the other Not one, yet. I forgot about that one. Now you're reminding me. <laughs> Was oh, he going to get that in the future? Eh, probably not him. But but you know, one of the fun things about Brain Boy is we have all these different psychics with various uh, you know different abilities. So certainly teleportation could go. And I, I never quite understood how teleportation could be a psychic power, but I guess you know, and it's not it's not any more or less crazy than any other psychic power. Mm-hmm. Why don't you give people a little basic uh, description of what the book is about? Sure, Brain Boy takes place in a world where uh, psychic phenomena are accept, are an ex- is an accepted fact. And uh, Mike, Matt Price, the Brain Boy, the title, is a uh, Secret Service agent, Secret Service contractor, whose job it is to protect the president and other international officials from psychic assault. And, and he's a psychic bodyguard, in essence. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, the series, the miniseries that's currently, that just wrapped up, uh, he's assigned to protect a uh, Hugo Chavez-esque uh, South American president, uh, and winds up in a conspiracy involving rival psychics, rival powers, and uh, a conflict between the CIA and the Secret Service within mm-hmm. you know, American soil. So it's a it's a, it's a very fun book. Well, you pull a really big surprise in the third issue, and I won't ma- I won't spoil it here. Good, good. But it was a I was. My jaw hit the ground when I saw it. Excellent. I, I said, holy smoke, I said. So, you know, what's going on on that? You could, you could definitely fold that into an... Uh, is there any chance of an ongoing series? Well, it's ongoing in the sense that it's a series, a miniseries. Uh, Freddie William. I mean, uh, in fact, that uh, maybe you weren't aware of this, that, that miniseries was not actually the first appearance of Brain Boy. Freddie Williams and I did a serial Brain Boy in Dark Horse Presents. Oh, okay. So that will actually be coming out as Dark Horse... Or, excuse me, Brain Boy Zero... Uh, shortly, in the trades in February, and then uh, there's an unannounced thing I can't talk about. Then, <laughs> in the summer, we'll be Brain Boy 2. Oh, boy. The sequel to, to that, that book. Oh, boy. Well, I'm looking forward to that because I enjoyed that book. As, as always, when you write, you like to surprise, you know, and, and I love a good surprise. <laughs> but- I have when I read a comics if I have to if I just turn the pages and go well you know okay okay that that, and that. but when I hit something that makes me just go <gasps> you know I stop and I go wait a second look at that you know and when you did that in that third book and I I, I highly recommend people get into the series especially if you like surprises and you enjoy stuff you you kind of it, it's great when you see a surprise like that when I go back and I go and I read it again I see how you led up to that. There are little clues along the way that, that they're in there, but you don't realize it until you actually see it. And so I really liked that. I just thought that Brain Boy 3 was such a wonderful book. I, I, I just loved it, and I was hoping there's going to be a lot more. So. Definitely. Well, it's very gratifying to hear that. Yeah, what, what surprised me was that there's a big twist at the end of issue one, which mm-hmm. um, surprised me that it was such a surprise. I, I, I don't know what it was just because or, uh, it shouldn't have surprised me as much as it did. Because uh, Recorda, who's the, the Hugo Chavez as character, was the was a main character in the original Brain Boy series from the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the only person I knew, there's only two people I knew who uh, had ever even heard of the fact that Brain Boy was a pre-existing character, mm-hmm. um, was Walt Simonson. He was like, oh, you're doing Brain Boy, that's great. <laughs> like, well, at least you, you know Walt. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, so a lot of people said they like the twist at the end of issue one as well, which, which is pretty awesome. 
And uh, I didn't know he was a character back in the past. And I, I pride myself on knowing like earlier characters. Yeah. When did Brain Boy come up before? Was it in the 60s? Yeah, Brain Boy, Brain Boy was a curious artifact because it was published by a company called Dell Comics who were really the biggest comic book publisher of the Golden Age because they had the Disney license. And they published Walt Disney's comics and stories, which is probably the highest circulating comic book in history. Mm-hmm. Um, but they lost the Disney license to Gold Key slash Western, and so they attempted to sort of keep their their comics line going by publishing a bunch of superhero titles or pseudo superhero titles because uh, DC just started its Silver Age and Fantastic Four number one had just come out and so forth. So they 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 Brain Boy was sort of their attempt to do sort of a James Bond mm. superhero mashup, and it was a very oh. strange comic. Um, Mm-hmm. Brain Boy killed people. <laughs> oh wow! Brain Boy okay. had a, a a girlfriend of color. Uh, all of which you could get away with because Dell was one of the few publishers that never uh, adopted the comics code. Really? Because they were Disney's publisher, and they were like, "We we are not going to associate with you, Archie and DC, because we are turning our noses up at you, and mm-hmm. we have Disney where you, you know, we're we're much more respected, and we have our own in house code that, in our opinion, is even more restrictive than your comics code." Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, how much did you base that original series, or how much did you translate into today's? Both, su- you know, well, not a whole lot. I mean, the in the in the both surprises you mentioned, they actually both come from the original series, really, in their own way. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that he he was a Secret Service agent in the um, in the Dell series, although that was kind of. You know, that's just I, I. Well, I have to I have to call it bad writing. Like he was just a, you know, they called him the Secret Service, but he went on generic James Bond missions as if he was like a CIA agent. So I thought rather than just making him a CIA guy, it would be interesting to actually do something with the Secret Service, which is a an agency, a federal law enforcement agency. We don't see a lot of fiction about. So I thought that was different. Yeah, well, I love different, believe me. I just think it's the greatest thing in the world. I have read so many times the same stories over and over. Sure. And I think that's why I'm drawn to your writing, because you always do things that are not in the, the normal sphere of things. You always vary it a little bit, and just enough so that it's a very different story. And I don't know what's going to happen, and I love that. I have to tell you, it's so much fun for me to read a story. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Ditto. Well, and I like writing it. Well, son... You just try to push yourself, you know. It's I I I work for so long at Marvel, um, doing various heroes and, and and just doing so many superhero stories in a short in a short short period of time. I just get I guess I get bored very easily. Yeah. So I, I, I sort of force myself to uh, to uh, challenge myself. It, it seems to me that a lot of my Colleagues, God bless them. Uh, find the niche or find their shtick that they're good at, and they just kind of keep hitting that same note over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would jump off the bridge if I did that. Yeah. It's not that way. We should try reading those books. <laughs> I have. Sometimes you have to. <laughs> I've been reading books now for about forty years, and I just, you know, the notion is that it used to be the comic readers would would turn over every couple years. Right. You know, the younger kids would would get into uh, like teen years and discover girls. They wouldn't read comics anymore, and then a new group would be coming up behind them, and that that's kind of changed its pace. But I have to say, after all these years of reading something, I love something different, like like what you're doing. I just 
God, I'm just so drawn to it. I can't bring myself to buy a book that is the standard stuff anymore. I can't do it. So anyway, that's why I'm drawn to your stuff because I love it. <laughs> I appreciate your support. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, why don't we find out what other projects you're working on right now? Well, what things are you doing that you can tell us about? Now, you've already mentioned there's one that we can't talk about. Talk about the stuff that we can talk about. Well, um, I'll be taking over Conan the Barbarian from Brian Wood early oh. next year. I'm very excited about that. Mm. I'm working with a wonderful artist by the name of Brian Ching. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, my run on G.I. Joe is just ending. The last oh. issue comes out next month. Okay. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Um, I'm doing a comic called Magnus Robot Fighter. You are? Yes, reviving that series for Dynamite. That first issue, I believe, is out in March, and I am super excited about that. Oh, I love that character. That's another Valiant-type book. Uh, Valiant did publish him. He was originally a Gold Key character, which is the company that, that the aforementioned Dell lost Disney to. Okay. He was wow, the most successful of their, uh, their cell phone characters. Um, yeah. My buddy Greg Pack will be doing Turok. Dinosaur Hunter, which comes out in February. Wow. Uh, Frank Barbieri is doing Dr. Solar. And Mark Wade is doing a, a book called... Uh, Dr. Spectre, which is all part of that same Gold Key family. And those will be coming out one month after each other. In those, those are all in Dynamite? Those are all Dynamite, yep. Okay, all right. And speaking of Dynamite, uh, we're midway through a fun series called The Mocking Dead. <laughs> zombie comedy I'm doing with Max Dunbar, and it's super fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we're on the last couple issues of that. Wow. And uh, there's even more stuff coming, but I don't want to... Okay. I said it's too much time. No, I can't talk about it too much. Some of these, <laughs> there are, there are good, announcements on the way, without a doubt. Okay, good. Well, that's a good thing when you have things that you can't talk about. That means it's very likely to happen, so I'm, exactly. I'm glad about that. Well, Fred, I wish you a lot of success, and keep up the great work, and keep making interesting and, and enjoyable comics. Man, that's, that's so nice to find today, so I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it. You having me on, Wayne, and it's been a terrific talk. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. today with Colin Bond, one of the creators of some of my favorite comics, including The Sixth Gun and Helheim. How are you doing today, Colin? I'm doing great. Good. It's good to talk with you. Why don't we start off with The Sixth Gun, because that's kind of what I think most people know you for these days. I was sorry to hear recently that The Sixth Gun wasn't picked up by NBC. Was that true? Yeah, me too. Yeah, it was not. It was not picked up. Uh, so they, uh, there was a pilot has been shot, um, and uh, but for various reasons, uh, NBC decided not to to take it to series. 
at least not right now. <laughs> See, this would work. This would be on Sci-Fi so well, I think. Well, you know, at one time it was considered for Sci-Fi, and then, uh, and then, you know, it, it moved over to NBC, and you know, it's it, the Six Guns, uh, a project that's actually had, uh, you know, had life. It, it, it's some, it's somewhere along the lines, it's been picked up or been reviewed by, you know, various media sources uh, since very on, early on in the in the process. Uh, but uh, the NBC thing was the one that has taken it the, the farthest along. So yeah, I'm, I'm sad to, to, that it didn't that it didn't get picked up, but uh, I'm kind of confident that it still has life out there somewhere. Maybe a movie down the road. You know, if possibly at one point that was that was where things were. You know that that was where that was what people were. You know that they had their eye on uh, on movies. Mm-hmm. But I you know I don't know. I actually think it would work best as a TV series. Uh, mm-hmm. Just uh, that's probably because that's that's kind of where my what the, that's what I enjoy the most. I like being a, I like the idea with TV. You know, you can take your time with. Uh, with telling the story and reveal, you know, reveal a much bigger story over over a longer period of time. When movies, you only have a couple of hours, and you have to compress so so much, especially with a story like, you know, the Six Gun. Mm-hmm. Well, here's hoping for those people who don't know what the Six Gun is. Why don't you give us a, a TV guy kind of demonst or a summaration of what it is? Sure. Uh, the Six Gun is an epic fantasy uh, set in the Old West. It follows the story of these six mystical pistols, uh, each with its own uh, terrifying power. And uh, these pistols vanished at the end of the Civil War. But the most powerful of these guns, the Sixth Gun. Uh, resurfaces uh, years later in the hands of an innocent girl, and it turns her into uh, the deadliest gun in the West, and sets a, a, a tra- sets the uh, a band of ne'er do wells on her trail, uh, and, and that's where the, that's how that's how the story starts off. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, you're into about the 36th issue is just about to come out in December. Yes, issue 36. Well, now I understand you're going to end it all at, at number 50. Correct. Yeah, we've. We've had an end for the six gun in mind uh, since about the time we were r- working on the fifth, fourth, or fifth issue. Um, mm. We knew how the series would end as a whole. Um, we had some wiggle room in there, and you know we weren't sure the, exactly what number the book would end on. At one time, it was going to end at issue thirty-six, and then you know we we kept expanding the world and and, and making the story bigger. Um, but but we've mapped out the story now to the end, and it will end with uh, with issue fifty. Do you have any idea exactly when that's going to come out, or, or roughly when it's going to come out? Well. Um, so issue 36 is getting ready to to come out and we do 10 issues a year I guess so we okay. still got to, you know a year and a half after this or, okay. or two years and then and that'll bring it to a close Below, you know we did one mini series which was Sons of the Gun which right. was sort of a it was a, a, some some stories that took place outside of the main the main storyline and we may be doing uh, some more of that but but not a whole lot um, in the end, the story will. I mean, we will definitely be doing some more. That we're actually working on the second miniseries right now, but mm-hmm. uh, but we will. We'll still. The main story will wrap up uh, in the it, main series. It's such a fun book. It's so interesting. It's there isn't anything else like it on the stands, and I, I wasn't drawn to it. I was actually referred to it by uh, on the free comic book day. Mm-hmm. We went in, and the guy that was behind the counter was it was literally handing them to everybody in the store. <laughs> and so I said, okay. I said, well, I want to have to read this, and I really liked it, and I've been following it ever since that day. And it's such a good story, and there's such interesting things, and you really have a way of breathing life into these characters and making it all very real. Well, well, thank you. It's 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 something that both uh, both Brian Hurt and I uh, we we hold it 
you know, very we we hold it very near and dear. It's a it's it's the kind of story uh, we both like working on, and uh, and it's just something. And we love these characters. And there there are a number of characters. I was just talking to someone the other day, and they they said, you know, who are you know they were naming their favorite characters. And there's a lot of these characters that people really like that were never intended to be more than you know one-time guest stars and brian and i though have a habit of we we get these characters and we like them and they sort of take this they get this life of their their own and we can't help but bring them back into the series to the Mm -hmm. series that's a good thing i mean it reminds me very much of star trek deep space nine in the sense that there were many characters that came on the show and they were supposed to be one-timers and they some of them blossomed into going on the whole series right yeah and so I like that very much about that. Now, you have a deluxe edition coming out, right? The, so, yes, there is uh, – the deluxe edition comes out on uh, on November 27th. Uh, oh, so, so it's out by the time this airs. So it'll okay. be out by the time, time this airs, and it is a – I mean it is an oversized uh, hardcover. It collects the first 11 issues of the, of the series uh, and a ton of, of back. You know, back background material, uh, all the covers, a lot of Brian's uh, sketch work. It includes a a prose short story that that I wrote uh, before the Six Gun ever before the comic book ever came out. We did a prose short story that was only available online for a while, and so it collects that as well. Uh, it just has a, a, a ton of material uh, in the in the book, and it's a really it's a really pretty book. <laughs> Okay, well, that's good. It's hardcover, right? It is. It's hardcover, yeah. How much does it retail for? Uh, I want to say $60, I think. $60? Yeah, it's, well. it's a, it, I think it's a, I think it's around 60 I, I was looking at my copy. I was going to go grab it and look at the, look at it, but I think it's a, I think it's 60 but I, I may be uh, Well, it's in the ballpark. Yeah. That's fine. It's a, anyway. Yeah, it's, it. It's sixty dollars. Sixty dollars. Okay, yeah. good. This is a good time to be talking about it because it's the holiday season and people are going to be doing some gift giving. Well, yeah. If you know, <laughs> it's a perfect gift. It's a perfect gift for someone who, who already is into the series. It's a great gift uh, for them, but it's also it's a, it's a a great way to introduce people to the book if uh, if they haven't started reading it or if they've been waiting, or if you've been waiting yourself. It's a great gift for yourself. I'd say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, is this the first of a series of these kind of deluxe books? Yeah, the plan is we'll do uh, we'll do another uh, we'll do more hard we'll do we'll do hardcovers for every two arcs. I guess okay. of the book there'll be a hardcover that uh, that accompanies that. Okay. There's so much going on with this. There's one more thing I want to touch on, then I actually want to talk about the book. <laughs> the, uh, the, my understanding is, is there's a, a, a Sixth Gun story that's a short story that's available online. Yeah, I think it's at Robot 6 at Comic Book Resources. Yeah, so right now on, on, Robot, on Robot 6 at Comic Book Resources, we're doing – Brian and I are doing – uh, just a short sort of six gun short story that that introduces some of the characters and 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 sort of gives people a a, a, a hint of the world and what kind of stories we 're telling uh, it 's going to run for four weeks uh, and and the the short story takes place it sort of bridges the gap between issues uh, between the last arc and, and the and the arc that we're currently running, so it it it, it fits in continuity. So it, it uh, it's out there, and it's it's a little Christmas story. Uh, the the prose story that I mentioned earlier that came out before the the book ever launched was a Christmas story too. So this and it launched on Robot Six. This is a, a comic, but uh, we're uh, we're just kind of 
you know, giving a nod back to that, telling another Christmas story, uh, and giving something that people who may not be too familiar with the book can see kind of what it looks like and what kind of stories we tell. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to miss this book when it goes, and I'm, I'm probably going to have to go into the shock when, when I don't get any more of these, but I'm just going to enjoy it as much as I can while it's coming because it's such a great story. I, I want to talk a little bit about the characters because some, I have this thing about female characters, especially female leads, is that some women characters in comics, they are, you know, they, they, they are not allowed to be – you know, men can be uh, jerks and scientists and gunslingers and all this kind of stuff. Women have to be a certain kind of character usually. Otherwise, many women, especially if it's a lead character, don't like it. They have to be maternal. They have to be willing to talk out everything and all this kind of stuff. And I'm always going like, that. that's so restrictive. I mean, I know so many women, they don't all <laughs> act that way. Right. Why can't we have women? And I think that uh, Becky Moncrief is, is just a perfect example of a woman who can cover a wide spectrum of things. And I, I'm so. This is why I always kind of point it out to women and say, "Look, you ought to look at this book because there's a great woman character in here." Yeah. Have well, you gotten a lot of feedback about that? We have, it, it, and it's interesting. Um, I, I remember very one of my favorite memories from a convention is there was a, a young lady that was uh, browsing the aisles, and she walked by my table, and there, I think she was looking at a booth next to me that was some comic that she uh, was talking about its depiction of women and how much she, you know, loathed loathe to that uh, depiction of women and I and and as she walked by I said hey I <laughs> I called her over and I said hey I heard what you said there and and I want you to I want you to give this book a try and I handed her the the first trade and I mm-hmm. said it was a two-day convention I said give the book a read and if you like it come back tomorrow and buy it <laughs> mm-hmm. and I said if you, if you like the way you know women are depicted come back tomorrow and buy it if you don't you know, no hard feelings. Bring it back to me, and you know, I, you know, I want to hear your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she came back, and I think this was around this time. It was probably three trades that were out of the book. She came back mm-hmm. the next day, bought the first trade, and bought the next two trades. Oh, wow. And 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 I think it, it's not something that we don't go out of our way to advertise that you know, you know, mm-hmm. the six gun has a strong female lead character. Mm-hmm. Right. But right. it is a book that that she is a character that uh, when I think expectations for that character when when the book started was she would follow certain certain tropes of the old west she was going to be the wilting wallflower that needed a a daring hero to rescue her yeah tie her to the train tracks and stuff like that and and we played up that a little bit if you look at the cover for the first trade uh you have drake sinclair sort of protecting becky Mm -hmm. But if you look at the progression of the covers, that changes, uh, mm-hmm. just as Becky's role changes in the story. So we have Drake in the first arc. Yes, he rescues Becky. Uh, mm-hmm. By the fourth arc, it's Becky rescuing Drake, and mm-hmm. and and the the roles really, really change. You know, change for her. She grows into uh, a completely different kind of character than what people that what people think you know expected from from her, and uh, yeah. and really what we were leading people to believe even in that first. First three, three or four issues. I think it's it's probably around the fourth issue. We we have a very definite turn for Becky, where she says to, you know, they're they're talking about the the general who is the villain in the series, mm-hmm. and she's the one who says, "Well, let's go get him," you know. And and we have that turn that she, that's our first real hint that she's going to be, uh, she's not going to just sit back and and take it, so to speak. She's not going to be a Southern Belle. No, she's not. 
was I, I, I tell you, when I, as I read the book and I was going along, I was kind of cheering her on, going, you know, man, I love to see a female character who can actually stand up for herself. You know, even in, there were women like her in that era. You know, sure. we don't, you know, the, uh, the, the lady that was shooting, I can't remember her name, but the, the woman that shot gun, you know, used, was in like, uh, circus things well, and she was, was shooting guns. There was guns. Calamity Jane, is, the, yeah. the, is, you know, the, probably, I guess, the most famous sort of yeah. female gun rootin' tootin' gunslinger. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, no, there definitely and there there were definitely uh women who could hold their own and 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 I wanted you know, we wanted Becky to be that person. She's mm-hmm. uh at this point, you know, Drake you know, a lot of people consider Drake Sinclair the lead character. You know, I was um, gonna ask that question. But <laughs> but Brian and I have always thought that Becky's the lead character and Drake See, I is thought the that. secondary lead. See, I thought that even though on the early covers, you know, Drake got a lot of the the the, uh, the primary positioning and right. stuff like that. I always thought Drake, and Drake's by the way, and is, is also an interesting character. He's, you know, he's from the. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, my brain is is leaving me on. He's part of the Pinkerton Agency. He was, yeah. And, <laughs> and then he comes along. He comes out of that, and of course, there's a whole story to that. And he goes along, and he's quite the interesting. He, he kind of augments her on some levels, but they become they, at the beginning they aren't on an equal level. But now, as we've gone along, they've they've sort of reached that place where they're both on the same level, pretty much. Right. And I like that. I mean, it's almost like Steed and Mrs. Peel in the Avengers to me. Yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah, there. Uh, and I think you know the relationship between Drake and Becky. Uh, it's there's so much more to it that we haven't revealed yet. I mean, we've been revealing little things about both of the characters uh, over the course of the uh, little things and some big things about the characters over the course of the series. Um, both of them have a role, you know, a, and a destiny that I don't think most of the most of the readers. Uh, I haven't heard anyone who's who's predicted their 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 destiny yet, mm-hmm. and uh, so so we're kind of you know we're building towards that over the next you know fifteen issues, and uh, with Becky especially, I think it will really surprise some people. Well, I really enjoyed it. it what's interesting too is these in- characters in the in the West and dealing with supernatural things because you don't see very often supernatural things in the West. You know, that's usually in modern eras or, or, you know, different places. But the, this was the wonderful marriage of two very different genres in this book. Was the, the, the you know, the, basically the Wild West after the Civil War. And then you see the supernatural part with the six guns. I was very interested to see how you were going to handle that and mix those together. And to me, it's seamless. I just, I can't see how it could have been done any better, really. And that's, that's something that I, Brian and I have always been uh, kind of drawn to that, that sort of mashup. Uh, mm-hmm. The first book we did together was a book called The Damned, which was mm-hmm. a, a 1920s mob story with demons. Mm-hmm. And so it was the supernatural and, and 1920s noir. Uh, mm-hmm. And and actually we pitched a book years ago that, that has never – it never got picked up, uh, but we still talk about it, which was sort of a, a Victorian England – and you know a supernatural Victorian England story, and mm. you know, there's a lot of things like we we tend to to keep going back to that uh, historical and supernatural mashup. Uh, we've mm-hmm. I think you know historical stories have so many uh, cultural things that are just interesting to to look at, uh, but more than that, visually for a comic, you know, visually a western's a great you know has a great mm-hmm. look, and and a lot of these historical stories have great looks visually for a comic book, and then the supernatural stuff is just those are the things that that I you know ghosts and monsters and and witchcraft mm-hmm. and sorcery those are just things I enjoy myself. So. 
Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get to more of that in just a minute. But uh, as far as like going forward and stuff, we know it's coming to an end. And you know, you, one of the things I love about the book too is that it's very – you can feel there's a, a hand guiding us along. It's not just sort of like some comics as well, what are we going to do this month? And then next month we've got to do something different. And then on it goes and goes. I can feel that we're heading towards a satisfying conclusion, and that's the thing that I like about the book as well. And I'm just curious as to in the next year, can you give us any kind of – don't spoil us. I don't, want to, I don't want to know too much. I just want to know what we should know at this point about going forward with the sixth gun. Uh, <laughs> things are about to get real in a big way, I think. Uh, I just wrote a script that uh, – I won't even say what issue number it is, uh, but I just wrote a script that is in every way, shape, and form a major game changer for the series and uh i think it will it will be a shocking book for uh, when when uh, i think i think when readers get it and they read it uh it will be a it, it'll be a shocking book for the fans of the series uh, I'm, I'm really uh, i'm interested in how uh in how the and what the reaction to that issue will be um and it's just mm-hmm. you know the book's going to get uh we're going to be uh, focusing a little bit more on, uh, we're going to see a little bit more of the Knights of Solomon, who are mm-hmm. uh, sort of this hidden faction of the Pinktons. Uh, so we're mm-hmm. going to be seeing a, a little bit more of, more of them in the next few issues, and then there's going to be some really epic stuff happening in the last few issues of the series. Mm, very cool. Now, I have to ask, just because these things keep me awake at night, even though they say there are only six guns, is that all there is, or might there be other more guns around. <laughs> Jokingly, we've talked about introducing a seventh gun. Uh, <laughs> no, there, it, there are only six. Uh, oh, okay, so all right. There are only six yeah, guns. Um, I, I yeah. lay awake at night and I think about, gee, it says six gun, but that doesn't mean there aren't any more. Well, you, you know, know and, and we could always, because of, you know, we could have done that, and we could have said, uh, well, the sixth gun we were talking about was Drake Sinclair. He was the sixth gun in this group, or you know, or but. Uh, but but no, there are only six guns. Uh, okay, all right. I have, well, now, I have enough I... trouble keeping the powers of the six guns uh, uh, straight in my head, so I don't want to introduce any new ones. <laughs> well, I've watched TV and read stories for so long now that I just I'm always thinking now. Wait a second, is he trying to fool us by doing that? <laughs> well, if, uh, if we're going to be at, you know 200 issues or something like that, maybe we would have introduced another you know a, the secondary six guns. But but no, for for the 50 issues, uh, it's going to be those six. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Well, it's such a great book. I highly encourage people to pick it up and, and, and get into the, it before it comes to an end. And you could wait that long, but you know, and then you have the whole thing together. But man, it's it's not. I wouldn't wait that long. Get into it and get it and enjoy it now. So you, when everybody gets to the end, they're kind of the same place. That'd be great. Now, there's another book that you're creating right now that I really enjoy called Helheim. Yes. And I enjoy that. It's I've seen it described as a combination of Vikings and Frankenstein and witchcraft. Yes, that's uh, that's pretty much how I pitched it. Was a a, a Viking era Frankenstein story, uh, mm-hmm. or Vikingstein, or Franken Viking. Any of those things <laughs> probably uh, probably sum it up in a way that if that doesn't appeal to someone, then the book's not going to appeal. <laughs> the book won't okay. appeal to them. <laughs> So do you want to give again a, a little description as to what the book's about? Yeah, so it, it is. I mean, it is uh, the story of uh, of a, a, a Viking named Ricard, uh, who is a, a good and noble person. He's trying to protect his people. Um, he is the the one character. As we start our first issue, he's the character that that we know can can pull them through these dark, troubling times that they're in. 
uh, and then I kill him violently about halfway through the first issue. Um, but that is not the end. He is he is raised from the dead uh, uh, by a by a witch and thrown into the middle of a war uh, between these two witches. Uh, and, and from that point, he has to uh, to kind of kind of make the the choice of being this puppet of these two witches or becoming his own. Uh, his own creature, uh, not his own man, because he doesn't see himself as a man anymore. He's 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 something uh, that he hates what he's become, and and he has to make this decision on how he's you know what he's going to do with with what has become of him. Mm-hmm. It's a really good, very action packed. It is story a, it is too. a very very action packed, very violent uh, uh, violent dark uh, story. Mm-hmm. But I like it because it's it's different. You know, we we talked before about mashing up the different things. Here you're mashing up supernatural with the Vikings, right? And I just kind of find that fascinating because you know, if, if anybody you know didn't have a way to deal with the supernatural, it was probably the Vikings and cultures back in that time who really didn't understand or had any way to study or figure out what was going on. They just saw it and had to deal with it. Right, it would it would have been you know something strange in their their way of life, and they had you know their superstitions and and myths that they would that they would follow, and 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 that's kind of you know we I approach Helheim in that way, and that there's these weird things happening and these supernatural uh, these supernatural things uh, happening, uh, yeah. but it. Uh, they 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 kind of have to accept it and and try to deal with it in whatever way they they can. <laughs> you know, it, one of the things that put, that intrigued me the most about the book was uh, Ricard's father. Yes. Who decides that it you know when he discovers that his son has actually been turned into a Frankenstein-like creature, he decides it's time to go for revenge and and kind of hopes that the Draugr, when that person gets killed. That'll actually put his son's soul to rest, and he proceeds to try to make that happen. I, I just thought that was such an interesting element. I, I never, you don't see much of, of fathers and, and sons in comics as, as, as much as I'd like to see. And I was very fascinated by his desire to help his son in the only way he really understood, and that was to try to, to let his son go, you know, move on to the next life, basically. Yeah, he's a... He's a character who, uh, you know, it's easy to cast him as a villain when you first start out. You know, oh, he's he's opposed to Ricard, who is our our hero, uh, but uh, he is definitely trying to do what he feels is right. He's trying to lay his son to rest uh, and and give his son the peace that that he deserves. Um, and uh, and yeah, it was a he's a, he's an interest. I think he's an interesting character. Uh, my dad was my 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 dad was actually uh, getting, was was becoming very ill around the t- same time that uh, I was working on these books. So uh, there was sort of a, a for me, I was I, I surprised myself with how uh, emotional I was getting towards the uh, towards the end of the series with with the relationship between uh, between uh, Ricard and and his dad. Mm-hmm. Now, is Helheim going to be ongoing? Is it limited? So, How's this going to work? So, so our plan with Helheim, uh, the, the the thing with Helheim is it was originally we were going to do it as a limited series. Uh, six issues, and then we we decided we did want to do it as a there was a bigger story to tell. Um, the difficulty was that Joelle Jones had other commitments uh, that she had to that she had to to take care of. So we we had to break it into uh, mini series in order to to continue the story because I don't want anyone other than Joelle 
drawing it. I think she's she brings those characters uh, uh, to life, and and I, I want it, I want her on the you know I want her to draw the series. So uh, so uh, it, the good news is Joelle's commitments have have kind of op- her schedule's opened up a little bit. She's actually working on the next. Uh, the next issue of Hellheim Ooh. now, so we're probably going to have it sooner sooner than I than I thought because she's working on it now, uh, and it will be uh, it will probably be renumbered as another miniseries. And the current plan is that there are, once it's all done, there will be three uh, three miniseries that will tell the entire story of Ricard. Uh, and again, cool. it's 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 one of those things I, I like having an end in mind when uh, when we start this and, and this is a shorter story than the six gun but uh, uh, we're we're you know we are definitely going to continue that uh, the the next arc or series will be called brides of Helheim and uh, and like I said she's she's starting on it right now and uh, the stuff she's done uh, you know we're introducing some new characters and uh, there's a new character named Sigrid that uh, that I think readers are really going to like uh, are really going to love and uh, and I've seen some of the initial design work for her, and uh, I, I I can't be more excited that uh, we're moving forward on the series sooner rather than later. Well, quality is worth waiting for, so I, I'm looking forward to that because I just like the whole concept of it and what's going on. You know, it, it, it's kind of like Star Trek in some ways. You're still examining what the the nature of humanity and and what we go through is all about, and I like that. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I think, um, I think it's a story that you know you can get what you want out of it. You know, if you want just an action-packed, rip-roaring, violent black metal type story, you can get that. Uh, okay. But I try. Uh, my goal is that uh, I want these characters to actually seem, uh, you know, to, to come alive and have their own mm-hmm. story to tell. Uh, and in the first arc, I think we get that with Ricard and his dad, and there's uh, the character of Catelyn. We see them probably the focus is on them more than anything. Uh, but now going into the next uh, the next arc, we'll be able to really uh, focus on some of the other characters too. Well, I like the witches too. I have to say, the two of them fighting was was great fun for me. I just looked at it and said, "Man, this is going to be really interesting to see how Ricard can match up against these." Much power, more powerful. Yeah, they beings. they were they they were very powerful and very mean, <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, but but he held his own. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I'll be watching to see when the announcement comes out for the next miniseries to start up. Sure. Now, what other projects are you working on that we should be aware of? Well, uh, you know, I'm working on. Uh, uh, I think I mentioned earlier. We're, right now, we're working on a second um, miniseries for the six spinoff miniseries for the Six Gun, similar to the way we did uh, Sons of the Gun. Uh, I'm also working on a couple of new creator-owned projects with uh, with a couple of publishers that have not been announced yet. So I'm hoping that we'll get some announcements in the next couple of months. Uh, but uh, but I'm working on a couple of new creator-owned projects with them, and uh, and then I'm doing. Uh, a few things with Marvel. Uh, right now, I'm working on a, a, a mini series called Night of the Living Deadpool, which is a, a <laughs> Deadpool and the zombie apocalypse story. Uh, of course, <laughs> <laughs> because where else can he go? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I'm working on a few things, and 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 also some things that have not yet been announced for Marvel that uh, I think will probably be announced in the next uh, next few weeks. 
Very cool. Now, I noticed you also write prose as well as comics. Do you have a preference, or does it just – you like doing both? Well, I like doing both. Uh, I think the difficulty I have is uh, – well, I started doing prose because I didn't know how to break into comics. I didn't know oh. – I, I didn't know what the process to break in in comics was, uh, but I knew what I'd do to, to try to break in with, with prose. Um, but uh, the difficulty I have is it's very difficult – once I've been writing comics for a while – it's hard for me to shift back into the mindset of, of prose, mm-hmm. and uh, I find it uh, – I get frustrated, <laughs> frustrated mm-hmm. with, the, with, the, with the speed at which I write prose because oh. it, uh, mm-hmm. it's just a, it's a, such a different uh, – yeah. such a different pace uh, in the work yeah. schedule. And it's, you just want to write in there and say sutton-such hits sutton-such. <laughs> right. Oh, I mean, and, you know, my scripts – I use a lot of prose in my scripts. I mean – but it's still – it's just a different – I think I've I think i gotten used to sort of this feeling of gratification I get. Uh, you know, I can write five pages of script and send it off immediately, and an artist can get working on it, and I'll see art in a few days. You know? and I, so I get this sort of instant gratification of, oh, look, here's some artwork you know, based on something I wrote, and, and that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a, tough, uh, a tough thrill to beat. And mm-hmm. it's, it's real hard to, to beat that feeling of seeing new artwork show up in, in your inbox. Uh, but, yeah, I still like prose. It's just uh, – it's, it's slower for me to get into it now. Uh, and also I'm working on so many projects right now that it's, uh, yeah. it's tough to, to carve out that time to, to, to really yeah. sit and work on, on. You make that sound like it's a bad thing. No, no, not a bad thing at all. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, but I, I'm one of those people – I'm always wanting more. I feel like I'm never – I can be working on a dozen things and still feel like I'm not doing enough, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and I battle with that on a daily mm-hmm. basis. Oh, well, keep it up because, man, I really am enjoying what you're doing. I've got one more question for you. As I, was, I was looking on Oni Press's website. By the way, I, I, isn't the sixth gun of Helheim – aren't those the first ongoings of, uh, that Oni Press has ever done? Because I – I, I buy a lot of Oni Press stuff, but they're usually like trades or, sing, or, or like a short miniseries and stuff. But the Sixth Gun is like the first one's ever going to get to like 50 issues or something. Well, I think it will probably be uh, one of the uh, their their first to get that that high number, you know, to reach those numbers. Um, but uh, I think you know, Queen and Country, I believe, was was definitely uh, it's not their first ongoing series. There are mm-hmm. others uh, ongoings or, or series of miniseries that they've been doing. But yeah, Six Gun I think has probably been their first uh, series that's kind of been since it started, and there's been no breaks. You know, they haven't. No one's taken a break from the series since we started it. Very cool. I, th- I think that's a great accomplishment for the book. It's it's such a great thing. Now, on your profile on the on the Oni Press website, it mentions other things that you've done. <laughs> you know, writers always go out and get out, uh, and always say go out and real live real life so that you can write. In a way that you understand what real life is all about, it says on your we- on the website that you have done various odd jobs, including you were an alien autopsy specialist, you were a rodeo clown, you were a professional a professional wrestler manager, and you were a Sasquatch wrangler. Not only that, you were considered the world's youngest hypnotist. Yes, four of those five things are completely false. False. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> no, yeah. But th- so. Uh, I don't even know where I, I what I was doing when I wrote those those <laughs> those jobs. Maybe those were the. I used to write resumes uh, for a living, and uh, and I you know there were always these great job descriptions, and I used to always want to to put job descriptions like alien autopsy specialist on someone's resume <laughs> just to see if they were even reading them after I wrote them. But 
Um, so no, okay. uh, the only one of those that is true is uh, that I did uh, at one time years ago. I was considered the world's youngest hypnotist, or I was at least billed as the world's youngest hypnotist. Um, my dad uh, was a professional stage hypnotist for for many huh. years, and uh, for a while, as part of his act, and this was when I was very young. I only barely remember it. Um, for a while, as part of his act, he would bring me out and turn his subjects over to me and I would have them oh, do wow. something uh something ridiculous and then I would take a bow and and leave. <laughs> oh wow. He did that for for many years. He was a, a stage hypnotist. Okay, well I have to say it, it's a bad joke, but that's why your books are so mesmerizing. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I, I wish that. I could figure I wish I could figure that out and, uh, <laughs> and and get even more readers to 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 check those out, command them well, to do so. As I said, I know a lot of people who are enjoying your work, and boy, I, I just hope you keep it up and keep putting out great product because so many people, especially in the area where I live and other people I know online, just enjoy the Six Gun and Helheim and all the other stuff you're doing. So please keep it up. You're doing a great job. Well, thank you so much. It, that means a lot. That's a wrap for this episode. Be back next week when again I'll have more news, interviews, reviews, and previews, although these days I've got a lot of interviews. But until then, keep reading your comics. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.